G'day everyone, it's Lisa Testart here with another episode in Surviving the Legal System with a Psychopath in Australia. I often get asked questions about what if I can't recall the details in my affidavit when I'm in the witness box. And this is a difficult thing to, um, to grapple with. Family law is civil and the strict rules of evidence don't apply here. However, this is a jurisdiction of trauma and pain. And with its no-fault perspective, it's going to accommodate reasonable requests to refresh your memory so that you can refer to documents. You know, it's a, it's a jurisdiction where we're dealing with facts and figures, um, money, accounts, businesses, and it's, it's impossible to expect someone to remember all of that information, to carry every last detail in their head. So this is a this is a jurisdiction where lots of people also, they put stuff into spreadsheets. So you're going to be able to refer to those documents. You can't take them with you into the witness box. You can't take anything into the witness box with you, but you can ask to have... Um, you can, have, you can ask to have the document so you can refresh your memory. It's perfectly acceptable to ask for your spreadsheets. If you're, being, if you're having, say, an email put to you, you're entitled to read it. If you've got some barrister who's badgering you about shit that you've put in an affidavit that you wrote three years ago, you're entitled to ask to read it. You're entitled to refresh your memory. What isn't allowed without the judge's permission or opposing counsel's consent is to use more than you need to refresh your memory. So often you'll be given um, a document and you might be told, read the first, read, read um, the um, second last paragraph on page five. Well, you can't read every page up until page five. You've got to just read the paragraph you've been directed to. Now, sometimes you're only allowed to read that particular paragraph because it relates to a very specific question. But sometimes you might be able to go, well, hang about. It's taken out of context and the paragraphs before and after give it context and they change the nature of the question that you're asking me. It's perfectly appropriate to push back a little bit if you need to um, make sure that what you're being asked to read and answer is correct. So, because like I said, the normal rules of evidence don't apply. That doesn't mean that the rules of evidence don't apply. It just means that there's a whole lot more leeway in the civil jurisdiction of family law than there is in criminal cases where the rules of evidence are strictly adhered to and um, lives hang in the balance because they're beyond reasonable doubt decisions. So in here, we are allowed to use our documents. If you find that you're... If we've got trauma... We're going to forget stuff. We're going to be very, very absolute and certain about some things, but other things are going to be lost in the fog of time. If you're a victim, you know this sensation really well. You can recall some things 
but not others. Some things have been pushed into the background of your mind. Maybe it's been boxed up, taped up and shoved into that dissociative space that protects us and we can't recall it. We know something happened. We may know all the facts around it, but we can't recall the, the actual moment, the event that happened. That's pretty normal. We can also, we can also hyper-focus on some details to the exclusion of others. So some details may be absolutely um, set in stone because we've had to repeat them ad nauseum to the police, to the court, in just different jurisdictions. So we've had to make statement after statement. We've had to recount it and recount it and recount it until it has become part of our narrative. It's become part of our life history. It's gone into our timeline. It's become part of um, part of our archival memory. So when we have those kind of memories, we're very certain of them and they come up readily, but the other kind are slipperier. They're the trauma ones. They're the ones that, that fade in and out. And if we don't deal with facts and figures and dollars and cents all the time and if we weren't involved in running the business or we weren't involved in running the books or doing the accounts or, I don't know, whatever, we can't be expected to hold everything in our head. You are perfectly entitled to ask for your documents to um, rely on, to refer to. Um, if you're having an online trial, I recommend that you have all of your all of your case documents, every last piece, printed out and in front, not in front of you at your desk, but on the floor or nearby so that you can access it quickly if you need to. You know where things are. You have your affidavits and your court documents printed out face down in front of you and put a, put a post-it note on the back of each one so that you know which affidavit is which. It just has to have your um, date and what it is, so whether it's an application in a case or a financial statement or an affidavit or an affidavit in response or an amended initiating affidavit or an amended initiating application or an amended response, whatever it is, you can identify it. So you have them face down. If you're at a trial in person, you don't have your documents. You might have them with you. You might bring them in a suitcase with you to court, but you won't be given your documents. You'll be given a clean copy to look at by the court. So your barrister may or whoever may hand you up through the associate a clean copy, an unmarked copy of your affidavit to read and refresh. So don't be afraid to ask be able to look at documents. Like I said it, uh, a few minutes before, if you're being asked questions, if you're being cross-examined about something that's in an email or a document, even if, even if it's your document, you're able to ask, can I have a look at it? Just so I know that we're talking about the same document because you don't want to get trapped 
into answering questions about a document that you think is the one that they're referring to, but might not be. Because I've seen barristers do really quite dreadful things, and I can't say for certain whether it's deliberate or not, but I've, I've, I've observed barristers to put different facts into a document in a question. So they'll ask, they'll put, a, they'll put a question or a proposition to the witness and the verbal question or proposition won't be the same as the document or it won't be the same, it won't be interpret. it'll be using, it'll be picking up evidence from elsewhere that doesn't apply to this document and they'll be putting a question that the client, that the person in the witness box can't possibly appreciate is factually incorrect. I've seen this happen. Um, I saw it happen in a recent trial where um, the barrister for the other side kept misstating the evidence given under cross-examination by the witness. And this was a repetitive pattern of behaviour. And they seemed to be blind to what they were doing. The court wasn't, but they just continued. And often their verbal question didn't fit with the document or the question that they were asking. So they would put a proposition that was factually incorrect, expecting an answer to something that the, that the witness couldn't answer. And that doesn't make sense at the moment, but this is what happens. So you have a right as a witness to protect yourself and to seek clarity, and you have a right to ask to have a look at the document that's being relied upon so that you can refresh your memory and you can be on the same page.